Welcome back, everyone. I have John Langan here. Uh, today, we're going to discuss my uh, perennial obsessive topic that I just can't seem to leave alone, which is the current Russia-Ukraine situation. Um, as of the latest news, uh, or the uh, you know Macron has announced that Biden and uh, Putin have agreed, in principle, to meet in the summit. I believe there's they're going to start talking on Friday. Meanwhile, there's up to 190,000 troops that might be on the high end. I think another report from Ukrainian military suggests it's closer to around just you know, north, slightly north of 150,000 are arrayed around the, the country. About 30,000 of them are positioned in uh, Belarus, which is just north uh, and provides the only route directly to Kiev without the need for a river crossing. Um, you know, then we have, uh, there's been shelling in the Donbass, which um, one media report suggests it's been up tenfold in the last few days, been a pipeline explosion, et cetera, you know, at least in the last 48 hours. So we're going to kind of discuss what now? And that's the answer to the simple questions is Putin going to invade Ukraine? How far is he going to go? How did we get here, et cetera? So let's start with the uh, first question. And, and this is going to be more of a back and forth. In the last, in the last episode, I mentioned, uh, or John mentioned Friedrich Barbarossa. And I said that it would be, there would be a tantalizing link to this, this situation. And that link is, uh, you know, Fr Frederick Barbarossa or Friedrich is a kind of a German hero and was the name of the operation to invade the Soviet Union by Hitler. So Operation Barbarossa, June 22nd, 1941, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the link. We're talking about Russia. So, so, so John, how on earth did we get here? Uh which part of, of the, that's that's uh, I know, that's a lot. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, put it this way: I'm old enough to remember the fall of the Berlin Wall, to remember that night, um, and I'm old enough to remember before that in the '80s, um, movies, you know, made-for-TV movies like The Day After, um, where um, where nuclear war was it was there you know it was it was mm -hmm. omnipresent and not just not just nuclear war but like nuclear annihilation i remember having a conversation with my father an unusually blunt one really where i and i was very young i was 13 14 something like that and i remember my dad saying to me i i was like well surely people will survive you know and he was like no no one is surviving if the, if if it goes hot no one is surviving and i can remember I grew up in a little place, well, relatively little place called East Fishkill uh, in Dutchess County in New York State. And um, I can remember thinking, well, you know, we're at, we're out of the way. No one would ever nuke us. And then learning in my, again, sometimes in early to mid-teens that we were the world's largest producer of microchips. So that meant that we were going to be a strategic target, not to mention we were just up the river from West Point. So West Point, of course, they were. So, so it was definitely... Um, yeah, just this kind of anxiety that I remember growing up with, and and that I remember, um, like like ebbing. I wouldn't say going all the way, but ebbing when the Berlin Wall came down, um, and David Hasselhoff showed up with his you know light jacket, and um, <laughs> the Hoff is here to save us, and um, and then of course you know Gorbachev just. Um, 
Gorbachev seemed in a way to have just taken the wind out of all of our sails. You know, we were like, yeah, peace, peace, peace. And Gorbachev was like, okay, peace. And we were like, what? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, again, I can remember him signing the the treaty uh, or, or I don't know, not treaty, but the documents, I guess, dissolving, you know, formally dissolving the Soviet Union. And it was like, oh my God, you know, I, I, um, I don't know if I thought like that the U.S. won exactly, but we didn't lose. Maybe that was more, mm -hmm. and, and not only that, but just we all didn't lose. Like we all didn't nuke each other, you know? And, and it seemed there was that, I guess, you know, sort of period in the, in the, the early-ish 90s where there were certainly bad things, you know, the, the breakup of Yugoslavia, of course, and, and, and what happened there was just, you know, one of the, 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 the real downsides to the end of the Cold War. But at the same time, um, the feeling that, okay, we're not all going to nuke each other just seemed like such a, such a relief. And, you know, what we've seen happen um, over the last couple of decades is, is disheartening to, to mm. you know, to, to put it at best. I, I um, you know, I, at the school where, where I work, um, a number of my students are, you know, they have families who are Russian, Ukrainian, um, you know, the, the sort of former Soviet republics and right. um, as well as Russia itself, right? And they, um, and they talk about this. I, I have a teacher who's, uh, who's from Siberia. So, I mean, like even the Russians are like, damn, that's Russian. Um, <laughs> but she, um, she was saying to me, you know, she has family in Ukraine and in, and in Russia. Um, I have, uh, but I also have a, a coworker whose wife is Ukrainian and uh, um, was still in Ukraine as of a couple of months ago. And he'd been, he'd been trying to work out the visa thing with the state department. And, when things started to get really kind of scary about a couple of months ago, he um, he contacted the State Department, said, come on, come on, can't we make something happen faster? And they said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then like a week or two later, they were contacting him saying, dude, why is your wife still in Ukraine? You have to get her out of there. And so, you know, when the State Department is contacting you, which I mean, how often do they do that? Right. When they're like you, she really needs to leave. That's uh that's a sign that things are are going on. So it's it's odd, isn't it, that these you know these the sorts of giant global situations they they wind up affecting you in these very sort of intimate kinds of ways. Oh, you know, I know a person, or I know I know another person uh, who's uh, uh, who's being who's being affected by this. And uh, my colleague's wife, uh, they they went to Canada and they're waiting to get in here. But apparently, you know, she's still on all whatever the chat groups are over there, and they're all predicting imminent invasion. And they're just like, get out if you can. And obviously, she has gotten out. But um, that's uh, that's pretty anxiety inducing, to put it mildly. Yeah, I mean, even even here, we're starting to see the effects of it. it hasn't even happened. So there was there's an author on Facebook yesterday, and he says. You know, he was asking, you know, why are my European earnings like why is the euro depreciating relative to the dollar, which is, you know, I think we're we're showing signs of inflation, not 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 quite the same signs of inflation that we saw in the early 80s. But, you know, I think that we saw like seven percent relatively recently. And, you know, he sees that he's like and the euro's depreciating, you know, dropping faster than the U.S. dollars. What's going on? Like, any can anybody explain that? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you're right, about to have a major war. Right, 150,000 <laughs> reasons, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and, and that's the other thing, too. There's there's a pending 
if this thing goes down, you're talking one to five million people are going to surge across the border into Poland and the surrounding area. So it's it's it'll get it'll get worse before it gets better. The question is, and you know, I if you talk to diplomats, right, and 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 I don't mean U.S. diplomats, I mean kind of diplomats outside the U.S. Um, there's there's this kind of belief that he's not Putin's not going to go in. You know, there's this belief that he can be talked down and and you know you can give him something and he'll he'll go away. This is this whole thing is elaborate kabuki theater on a you know on a national scale. You talk to anybody in the military or in kind of military intelligence, anything like that, and you know you get this thing's happening 99.8%. So part of it is, you know, the lens of the diplomat is to always find a, you know, is to always find a way out that that is outside of war. And the focus of somebody with a military mindset is, you know, every, every, uh, you know, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. 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 Um, You know, my, my view is, and, and part of it's just informed by, personal experience. I remember back in February, 2022, or not 2022, February, 2002, I was in the military and I was in a program called, um, you know, I was assessed as military intelligence, but branch detailed armor. And that just meant that you don't go into military intelligence for the first four years. They loan you to like the armored cavalry, like they did with me. And then that way you can better serve on a tactical level because you'll understand what's going on. And, and what the army did with me is not, not only did they send me to an armored unit, they sent me to an armored unit that fought using Soviet doctrine and tactics to train the rest of the army, which is perfect for somebody who would ultimately go into that. But back then I had that designation and I was put on stop loss. And this was 2002 and Afghanistan was, you know, by that point, I think we had, either overthrown the Taliban or, you know, they were kind of no longer a, a government entity at the, at the point. So I kind of had an inkling in 2022 that Iraq was going to happen. So fast forward to October uh, 20 or, you know, tw- 2002, I remember being in like a bowling alley on post at the national training center. And there were civilians who would write up these scenarios and the scenarios that they were writing up was for a, uh, and I think it was for the 3rd Infantry Division, they were for a brigade from the 3rd Infantry Division. They were writing up a scenario where they had to advance through the Karbala Gap in uh, you know, southern Iraq, where they anticipated the Iraqis would slime us, right, use chemical weapons. So, and, bit, and then by the way, I'm, one of, I'm in one of the only Army units that, actually had doctrine and tactics around using chemical weapons against people. <laughs> right, so, right. So like, uh, so anyway, going through that ex- experience and around October, 2002, on a national level, there was still this diplomacy playing out and things like that. But in October, tw- 2020, I was pretty sure that we were going to war. Like it was once the troops were, positioned and on the ground there was nothing that was going to stop the inertia of having right. sent the trains just like world war one right right this feels a lot like that 
Yeah, it does. It does feel as if there's a certain kind of, uh, to a just money involved, right? How much money must it cost to position whatever, let's say 150, let's be conservative, 150,000 troops, that costs a lot of money. Some of the armored pieces, as I understand it, that are there have been brought, you know, across the country. And the Soviet, or uh, Russia, excuse me, is a big, is a big country. So, well, that's yeah, know, the Eastern military district, right, which is in the Russian Far East. Yeah. And you just look at the map, like, this isn't like, this isn't Massachusetts to California. Yeah. This is like, uh, you know, I'd have to look up, but, it, but like those are those are vast, massive yeah. distances. And not only that, the Eastern Military District is the is the um, military formation or the uh, group of Russian military forces that defends against, you know, would defend against any Chinese incursion north, right. which implies tacit consent by Chinese government. Well, I think that I, I mean, I think that the handshake or whatever you want to call it, the visit the other week between Putin and and uh, and she was designed to diffuse tensions there, which I don't think ultimately. I mean, I'm not the expert. I feel like that's probably everybody's kind of freaking out at the moment, but I I think ultimately Russia and China have have too much to fight over. Like, I don't think that's going to last for for a, a long period of time. It, for the moment, it's in Xi's interest. To, to, to say, okay, hey, hey, you guys knock each other out. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, um, I think that they've clashed enough in the, in the past um, in somewhat major ways, but, but also in minor ways that I just, I don't think that's gonna, that's gonna last. Putin, I, it probably does tell you though, that Putin was already thinking, hey, I need to make sure that I've got things nailed down on that side. Um, because I really want to see what I can do over over here. So I think that's part of it. I mean, we know that Putin has published a couple of essays, I want to say last year, maybe as, as recently as last year, you know, sort of arguing that basically Ukraine and Russia are the same country, that they're they're the same people, that there's no real difference between them. Um, and I don't, you know, um, I, what's hard for me to tell, right, is that, yeah, strategically, I get it. He's nervous about having NATO on his doorstep. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, I understand that. Um, so is, is, is it just that, that he's looking for some kind of, of buffer zone? Or is there a deeper kind of, like, like what we're finding is there's something psychologically going on that means that even if, even if the Ukraine were to say, no, 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 you know what? we don't need NATO and NATO were to be like, okay, fine. That, that even then Putin would, would, you know, psychologically not be able to, to do that. Uh, that, and, and that to me is actually scarier. Um, you know, if, if you think that, well, okay, what, what Putin's looking for is he's looking for NATO and, and Ukraine to say, you know what, we'll put a moratorium on anything for like 10 years or 20 years or something like that. Um, which I don't think they'll do, but let's just hypothetically, right? Um, but if they were willing to do something like that, that would answer his, you would think that would answer his security concerns. 20 years from now, who knows what the world's going to look like 20 years from now. But um, if he really believes that that Ukraine is is this this uh, part of Russia that's been been lost, um, and I think I think just I mean I think he's doing this. I think with with putting the troops into Belarusia, I think what you're seeing is he's tacitly um, annexing Belarusia. I mean they'll they'll maintain um, their own government and all that sort of stuff, but they they will basically it's it's 
it's a sort of rump version of the of the uh, of the of the USSR. You know that that he'll have he'll have Belarusia and maybe Ukraine as well, and he might be able to live with that. You know, like like who was it? Was it Kazakhstan invited the Russians in? Uh, I think recently. Yeah. Um, fun, so- fun, funny how that erupted around all this. You know, uh, I'd be curious what was going on in the, you know, in the background. We we've we may have been, you know, who knows? But very very good at this color revolution thing, right? Yeah. Like, there's a unit in the CIA um, called the Political Action Group, where uh, and, and there it's it's a subcomponent of the special. I think it's called like the special activities center which is in cia and they they do a lot of these kind of clandestine or covert or covert operations that involve again i've never seen anything in writing or you know anything right, in right but that's that's kind of what that's kind of what they did you ever notice during the green revolution nothing ha- happened in saudi arabia other than a, a social media campaign that associated the shia um opposition with iran yeah, Interesting yeah, how yeah. that worked, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyway, we need their oil. Our oil is under their sands. Um, yeah. So I, I, um, and obviously we see some of this. It seems this kind of disinformation stuff happening right on this on the mm-hmm. Russian side. You know, oh, those savage Ukrainians are attacking us, or, or. Um, so yeah, I, I, and, and uh, it, on the one hand, it fascinates me the. The, on our side, I guess you would say the campaign of um, what was it they were calling it strategic transparency of just saying, look, the Russians are here and they're here and they're here of just like like everything they do, just like spilling it out, um, which, um, you know, which has to make them nervous, I would think. Right. If you're if your enemy knows that you know, what your positions are and, and therefore can, you know, sort of look at what you have where and say, well, they're probably going to come in this way and do that. Then then you have the you have the jump on them because, um, you know, there was one rumor going around that said that, that, you know, the plan was for the Russians to make basically to try to do what we did in, a, in Iraq uh, the second time. Yeah, um, shock it 20, right. 24 to 40, 24 to 72 hours, take the capital and then yeah. and then leave, basically, just be like we won, declare victory. That, that's exactly how the forces are arrayed, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and now the problem, you know, the, the thing that's hard to... Um, as we were saying before the, the the recording started, you know what's what's difficult to know in all this, right? I, I mean, I could see a scenario on the one hand where Putin grabs the eastern, like a greater part of eastern Ukraine, and you basically have have West Germany, East Germany, all over again, and and you have a Western Ukraine that's more um, that, that's more liberal leaning and blah blah blah, and you have an Eastern Ukraine that's more Russian leaning, um, and I, I don't know if that. Um, and that might be feasible. I, I I don't know. I mean, certainly those very two uh, Eastern uh, Dunblasts and and uh, the one with the L, which you know, I'm sorry, Luhansk. Right. Luhansk. Um, you know, certainly he could grab those. But I mean, they're they're a tiny buffer zone. You know, I would think if you're sending troops and you want something more than just uh, just those those little bits of the map, you want something more significant. The the current behavior suggests a faint. So what he's doing right now is they're like shelling that region and that way you can draw in Ukrainian forces and then flank them from the north. Right, that, that, right. That's what it feels like to me. 
because that re that particular region they might move forces in to just kind of hold it but it's like economically disadvantaged like there's no reason putin would it would be like a there's no reason he he would want it right. now with ukraine what you get from an encirclement of ukraine like if you did if he didn't have forces in belarus he would have to conduct a like a you know more complex major river crossing operation to get into kiev from the russian side yeah so if you kind of bring in two main main or two kind of main efforts encircle it and you can kind of put a gun to the government's head or at least control the city for two or three weeks so that you can you know get everybody on your kill list and then replace the government with a central government with a puppet and then declare victory and go home that, that's what i think he wants to do did you hear about these kill lists that he that, that they have now in Russia? I, I did not, but I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, it, so they it's... have lists of people to either kill or put on, put in camps. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I, I think this'll, this'll be a little bit of the kind of a combination of what you saw in Crimea with the little green men um, with some other, uh, with, with some, some conventional stuff. But if I were Putin, um, you know, in the months leading up to this, I would have likely bribed some Ukrainian generals with the GRU so that they just kind of turn their backs when right. the Russians move south. Um, he's moved these Iskander anti-ballistic missiles into position. Those are likely for command and control strikes, right, on key operational nodes. Spetsnaz has probably been in Ukraine for probably oh, yeah, years. Yeah, they've, they've, I'm sure they've have like forward units or whatever you want to call them little green men you know like, like yeah, units yes. that are just yeah yeah so they're in kiev now like in, in in certain spots probably ready to go um and then you know the, the the whole thing will probably start with the cyber attack where the lights go out in in kiev right and then you know by the time you start to see units crossing the line of departure ld uh, a lot of this stuff will have been shaped and then it'll just be a race to to ukraine or sorry not ukraine um kiev and i think i think that's what he tends to do because he doesn't want to be in there too long uh and by the way this is great for oil prices even if you put sanctions on oil right he just backdoors it to china and he'll do just yeah. fine yeah the thing that 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 sort of um it's funny and in, in, i've been thinking about this in, in another context recently you know the thing that that um uh, fascinate sounds like such a lame kind of word to use, but but it, it does, I, I guess, in, in this situation is, is you know, guerrilla warfare has proven itself, as, as we've seen uh, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, it's proven itself to be um, still amazingly effective um, mm -hmm. in, in, in the era of 21st century warfare, where, yeah, we have weapons undreamed of um, in the, well, maybe only dreamed of in the, in the past. Um, and, you know, we, we talk about, you know, wanting to have, say, like, you know, command of the skies and that sort of stuff. And yet small groups of dedicated fighters can, can, can really be a problem. And, you know, I, I think that, that Putin's, um, it, there's a lot of things that have to go right, right, for, for his plan. So let's assume this is the plan, right, which seems very, you know, I don't know anything. So I'm like, yeah. Um, but <laughs> if, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I speak but, with confidence that I could be completely wrong, right? But but no, it sounds reasonable to me, you know. Um, but um, but I think you know when I, when I think about this, right? I I think that you know if Putin gets bogged down, that's where he's in trouble. Is is that if he yes. can do like so? So you know, you think about Georgia as a as a sort of test case for this, which was. You know, a, a very tiny country. So the Russian army rolls in, they defeat the the Georgian army, they occupy, and then they pull out pretty quickly. Um, that's I have I would have no doubt that like conceptually, that's the model for this. Speaking of which, I, I, have, a, I have a little story about Georgia. Okay. So Georgia. when the Russians were poised to do something in Georgia, Georgia, one of my classmates from business school called me, and he's like, Sean, my my parents. And he's from Georgia. It's like, Sean, my parents are in Georgia. Like, how do I, like, how do I, you have any idea on how to get them out? So I pulled out a map and I, I did exactly what we're doing here. I said, yeah. well, you're going to have the main effort along this highway. They're going to send troops to seize this airfield, this airfield, this airfield. They're going to blockade the port. And so the place where your parents should go is they should take this mountain road out of the country. And then I told them to mark their car in a way that subsequently somebody told me was like a violation of the Geneva, Geneva convention. So I'm not going to, okay. You know, don't, don't, uh, I'll tell you after the call exactly. Okay. What to do. It's, it's something that's like pretty, you know, it, right. it would seem innocuous, but apparently it's a no go. So three weeks later, my friend calls me and he says, Sean, how the F did you know what they were going to do? And I'm like, well, I used to fight like them and I could read a map. Right, right. And then like he was, so then he sends me, he's like, I want you, I want to introduce you to the Georgian defense minister and the Georgian security minister. <laughs> and, like, listen, you want a job? How about that? Well, yeah, so he like makes an introduction and I'm like, yeah, happy to help. And then, you know, I was talking, you know, you know, T.C. McCarthy is one of the, one of the, um, contributors to both anthologies as well and he's former cia and he's just like well did you help them i'm like no they never cut he's like it's a good thing you didn't because that would have been a violation of the logan act i'm like oh, wow. so okay i'm glad i didn't glad i didn't uh good to, good you know, to know right? to do that stuff but right. but anyway like a lot of times you could just look at the map and figure out figure right. out what's, what's, what's the going. terrain yeah so i, just, but I think I you're right i think you're right like i think he's and here's the other thing too. There, there's a, um, a one of Putin's or several of Putin's performance reviews back when he's in the KGB. One of the areas of weakness was he had a, a tendency to underestimate risk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and I think that the you know, I, I think that Putin has had a very good few years. Um, you know, I, I remember thinking with the 2016 election in the United States, that it was, to whatever extent the Russians were involved, it was a spectacular victory because, you know, from his standpoint, he got to, to sow chaos and uh, among his enemy and with no loss of life. There was no, you know, like, like all he had to do was just, hey, guys, go online. And he lost, he lost nothing. And he got this increasingly destabilized world situation, which we see now, right, he's playing to his advantage. And, you know, Georgia worked out for him, Crimea worked out for him. Um, and so this is the I, I kind of feel like at this point, this has to be the big gamble for the last part of his presidency. I mean, 
uh, we were saying before the podcast, you know, does he want the the Baltics back? Eh, probably an ideal world, but they're tiny. You know, I, I mean, if he gets Ukraine back or, or in, in some way, shape or form is able to exert dominance over Ukraine, then he can feel in essence that he's reconstituted the Soviet Union as greater Russia or the Russian alliance or whatever it is they're going to call themselves to, to put a fig leaf on it. Um, I, I, as I said, though, the, the, the problem I see for him is that if it doesn't go quickly, um, mm -hmm. then he's, I, I, he's not exactly screwed. I, I mean, it's, it's just that all the Ukrainians would have to do is survive. They don't have to win. Um, because I don't think there is a way they really can win on their own. The the other major European powers are not going to get involved. You have a, right. a, nu a nuclear-armed Russia, a nuclear-armed UK, France. Um, it's just that they're not going to do it. But they will send aid. They will send comfort. Um, but I, I think, though, that the, if the Ukrainians can just hold out and hold out and hold out, then Putin gets embarrassed. And and um, whatever provocations you know he's fabricating at the moment are not going to be enough uh, for to 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 justify it to the to the Russian people. So I mean, unless unless Ukraine launches a counter invasion or something like that, you know, uh, which is not going to happen. So I, I think that that the if if he can do it, if he can get in in in, in forty eight hours or seventy two hours in and out then then he'll succeed i mean what, what that success looks like i don't know i mean it will mean toppling the government it will mean probably leaving an occupying force but i don't even know you know i, I mean because an occupying force as 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 the u.s has learned is a target um right. so he may not want to do that even he may just install if as you said he's bribed some generals these generals may step in to take control and then you know uh, and and what what could wind up happening then is a situation like Belarusia, where over time, right, you have this erosion of of by the by by pro Russian Ukrainian forces, this erosion of, of the notion of Ukrainian so uh, sovereignty, and, and you have the the shipping in of, of oh well, we're just going to have our, our fellow Russians or, or you know uh, come in to our fellow our Russian buddies come in to help us out. Yeah, and just to just to add to that, so so really quick clarification: the bribing generals. That's pure 100% speculation on my part. Yes, yes, no, absolutely. That, that's that's what I would do as Putin, right? That's that's one way I would come in and 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 kind of separate forces. The second piece is, you, I think you're absolutely. Right. I think it'll be more than 72 hours though, just because of the distances involved. Maybe it's quick, but I think it'll be a few weeks. I think he's got he's got three to six weeks to to lock this thing down, wrap it up, and go home. I think. And, and I think he has a good shot of doing that for two reasons. One, he's going to have complete and total air superiority. And two, he's going to have cyber you know, superiority in the, in the whole thing. So imagine trying to fight a very coordinated force and you're not able to use your radio to contact the next team right. over. If, this, if the Ukrainians can survive that, um, and, and, and they might, the Ukrainians also have a, a key weapon system that we've exported to them, which is, you know, if you bought Raytheon stock a few months ago, you'd be doing great. Um, You're doing okay, yeah. And that's the, the Javelin missile. And I actually have personal experience with this because they tested the Javelin against us, you know, using their tactics. And when, you know, when I was a you know young lieutenant in the army, 
when I was planning my missions against the 82nd Airborne, which is the unit that tested them, I would have to draw four kilometer circles around every hill that wasn't out in the open. And I'd have to avoid those circles. Any, and I did, and I, and I got through unscathed, but any, for any of my colleagues that didn't do that, they got absolutely slaughtered, mm-hmm. right? Those things are tank magnets there. So if the Ukrainians, you know, keep them kind of away from the front lines and kind of just back in the, and keep relative distance, they could wreak havoc right. on right. Russian tank formations. So, uh, but I don't know, you're going to have to suffer the, the the initial, like highly demoralizing blows of like, Having like, where'd that army go? Like, why'd that guy right. defect? Like, what? Right. Like, completely demoral. And they're gonna. And the Russians are very, very good at that. The other thing that has surprised me is, I I didn't expect anything to happen until today. Actually, I think today is the first window because, as part of that tacit agreement we talked about with the Chinese, the last thing Putin wanted to do was rain on. Uh, G's the Olympics. Uh, Olympic yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but the other the other competing issue is if if Putin waits too long, he has to deal with the Rasputitsa, which is the like the the mud. And if you've ever like dealt yeah. with tanks and mud, like it is, yeah, it it is absolute sheer. You throw track. You do. There's all sorts of stuff that's just not 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 ideal. So if the ground softens. Like he's in a he'll be in a quagmire. Yeah. So I don't think quagmire. he has that much time to to pull the trigger. And the ironic thing is, I think he did wind up raining on Xi's parade because nobody's been paying attention to the Olympics. Right. Um, everybody's like, "Oh my God, are the Russians going to invade?" And and so um, now and that who knows? I, I mean, sort of, you know, was that is that also part of um, the the sort of strategic transparency is that by by revealing all these things to the press, you keep pushing that to the top of the news cycle. And so because that's pushed to the top of the news cycle, we're on here, like we're having this conversation. We're not like, oh my God, Finland beat Russia in the men's finals for hockey, you know? Like, right, like, right. So the, like, it's like, oh, there was an Olympics? Oh, okay, fine. Um, instead, it's like, oh my God. So, so she, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a huge, huge problem, but a little bit, a little bit, because because it's it's. I think unlike the last, the Beijing Olympics, this is much more supposed to be. Um, hey, China is a player on the world stage now. Everybody, look at our Olympics, and instead, um, it's like, look at this guy. What is this guy doing over here? Oh, she, your buddy is is up to this stuff over over here. So that may uh, there, you know, I like to think that there might be a long game uh in in that sense as oh as china well. yeah to try to to try oh, to, yeah to try to break the relationship between between putin and uh, to put to introduce some daylight into that uh that handshake between putin and uh and she to try to say oh well yeah your your buddy just took all the attention away from you so um good luck yeah i, I mean this this whole situation is playing in Deji's hands extremely well right uh, the, their their best situation is something starts in Ukraine, and it just sucks up U.S. resources for a while. Uh, and, and in terms of like, we've also gotten ourselves knotted up into this into this mess because um, we kept pushing the you know forward boundary of NATO. At the same time, we were 
repositioning forces outside of Europe. So right now there are, if you don't count the the 9,000 troops or whatever that that um, Biden sent in, who were frankly just a tripwire, right? There's just, there's not enough to, right. to face like a sophisticated Western army. I mean, trust me, I mean, we would do tons of damage, but they're just outnumbered. Before that, there were only two uh, combat combat brigade teams in all of Europe, right? So we pushed the political boundaries of NATO, NATO forward, but we withdrew the ability right. to defend it. Right, to defend those. Yeah. So there's literally, he can go into Ukraine and there is nothing militarily we can do to stop him right now. Nothing, right. absolutely nothing, other than arm the Ukrainians. And he knows that. So the question is, if that were to escalate, that you know, the only reason we have an interest in that region is because we have to support NATO. If we didn't have that alliance, there's absolutely no geostrategic interest we should have in Ukraine. However, if you look at kind of the other flashpoint, which is, or potential flashpoint, which is Taiwan. Taiwan, yeah, yeah. If, if Xi were to go in there and invade tomorrow, we would be at war with China. And the reason we would be, and most, most people don't realize it, is that we've you know, given like what businesses have done with the supply chain over the last 20 years, 90% of all advanced semiconductors are produced in Taiwan. Right. If we lost that, we're going to war. Right. Right. We couldn't afford that. Yeah, we couldn't afford that. Now they're building, I think TSMC, which is the company that produces those chips is building a facility in um, Arizona, but those things take years. They take yeah, yeah. years to put it's... together. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, and going back to one last thing, the thing that you, we, you talked about, what are Putin's motivations? I think they're threefold. Number one, this is about legacy. Putin, you know, has been, you know, in power since 1999 and he wants to build his leg. He wants to be considered, you know, somebody who's as great, you know, kind of another Peter the Great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe Ivan the Terrible too. Who knows, right? But it's about legacy. Number two, in terms of kind of the historical relationship, the the mod like the the modern Russian state began in Kiev and Russia or Kiev and Rus. Right? right, right. So like Kiev is the center of where Russian like civilization began. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely that deep psychological root that is different than what you like from the ball, from the Baltics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then number three, he'll do it because he can. There's nothing to stop him. Right. And in doing so, he also weakens the NATO alliance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, if, if, if we had kind of in an alternative, in an alternative, an alternate, alternate future, right. Where we lost the cold war, what do you think would happen if he was pushing the boundary of, uh, you know, let's say there was like a breakaway Republic in, you know, California or Texas, depending right, on right, right. political aisle, aisle. Like, yeah, yeah, Do you yeah. think, do you think we would be having this discussions with the, the UN 
right? We'd go in. There wouldn't like it'd be like you know, shut up. This is our backyard. We're gonna do what right. we're gonna do. Well, and the thing is, we've got nukes, right? That's that that is fundamentally what it comes down to. You know, he's got nukes, we've got nukes, so we can't really afford to to face each other. You know, face to face. It has right. to. It all has to be proxy stuff. So so yeah, he can send his army, and we can't send ours. And we can just say to the Ukrainians, <laughs> "Welcome to the U.S. Army," as it were. You know, here's yeah. Good luck. Here's, yeah, some, here's, here's some missiles. Good luck. Right. Here's some missiles and, and some advisors and that sort of stuff. Um, and um, I mean, the only one who's really rattling the saber right now is Boris Johnson. But the, the Brits are not uh, they're not getting involved. I mean, Johnson loves it because it gives him cover for the massive screw up of the, that is Brexit. Um, he mm. can now say, oh, look at those hated Russians, you know, Um but they're not going to do anything either. They're they're just going to you know make a lot of noise and 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 yeah, Putin knows that. I mean, because behind, um, uh, yeah, just just behind everything is is the threat of nuclear of some kind of nuclear exchange, and so it just it can't happen. The same way we went into Iraq and they didn't stop us, you know, whether they approved or not. And and we could we could go into a bunch of small countries and no one is going to do anything because we've got nuclear weapons. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what. So, do you do you think he does anything in the next week or few weeks? I really hope not. Um, but I think you're right. I hadn't thought about the mud part, like, like like that. It's funny, right? That 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 simple thing that you've got to get in there before it becomes muddy. And if you if so, I mean, I guess our thing is if we delay him and delay him and delay him, he may decide, ah, I can't do it. You know, so so it's it's in it's in our interest to just keep trying to delay him as long as yeah. possible. So he yeah. decides, and, and, you know, and once you start looking through the world with, you know, not only that lens, but that lens is part of many lenses. You'll start to see how our strategy is playing out. Right. Delay, delay, delay. Yeah. 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 And, and look, I, I don't want anybody, I mean, it sounds whatever. I don't want anybody to die, you know, like, yeah. like let him, let him have those, let him have those eastern provinces. That's what he wants. You know, it's it's a tiny it's a tiny piece of land. Let him have that. Hooray, Greater Russia. I think you're right that Kiev has like such a deep kind of psychological, spiritual thing. Um, and I would love to think that Macron could come up with something, but all he's come up with is what we've seen before, um, which which didn't fly the first time around. So um, so yeah, I, I think. Um, yeah, I really hope nothing happens. But, but and part of it's a disinformation campaign too, right? If you keep throwing these things out there and say, "Hey, we've agreed in principle to a summit," um, right? You you make Putin look like you know it's a it's we're, we're right. engaging in our own propaganda campaign. Yeah, yeah. Well, you make it. Well, you right? make you want to make him look like like sort of like unhinged and and what have you. So it uh, it it helps uh, it helps us ultimately. All right. Well, I think we probably went way over on this one. (laughs) That's that's that geopolitical problem solved for this week. Join us next week. (laughs) Yeah, join us next week. Uh, All right. Well, John, thank you. Um, We're going to talk about something else in the in the next episode, and and we'll uh, cover that shortly. Thank you for listening to my uh, my ravings. They're very intelligent ravings. I I appreciate them. All right. See you soon.